people just like you have taken the brave step to do this thing we call work differently. They tell their self-unlimited story to inspire and encourage you. Another story begins now. Today, it's my pleasure to be speaking with Lizzie Webb. Welcome, Lizzie. Thank you very much, Helen. Lizzie, you're a very interesting person because while you might come from a bit of a traditional background as an engineer, I understand you to be doing quite a diverse thing. So if I met you at a cocktail party, what would you tell me that you did? Oh, Helen, I'd tell you that I have a passion for starting new businesses that specifically aim to create social good in the world. So at the moment, I'm working with about five different organisations, mostly fairly early stage, and they all aim to address issues like youth unemployment or um, certain health and education challenges. So just to give you an example, I do a lot of work with Aboriginal corporations and Indigenous entrepreneurs supporting their new business ideas using Australian botanicals. So you, you may have seen the brands like Connoisseur are starting to bring out new ice cream ranges that celebrate Davidson Plum and Lemon Myrtle. The Australian native botanicals industry represents this incredible opportunity for first Australians who are interested to use the knowledge of plants, both sort of culturally and, and in terms of their healing and nutritional value to create business opportunities if that's something that they'd like to do. Wonderful. One of the ideas with Self Unlimited is with the world of work changing so rapidly, people might not be working in a single role in a single organisation. And it sounds like you're one of those people who's across many of those things. So when you're talking to somebody maybe of a different generation, say, let's say your grandmother, what do you tell her you do? <laughs> it's a really good question. I tell her that I work with communities that are struggling with power and water and sanitation and I tell her that I do a lot of work with groups that want to create new job opportunities and I support them to think through what their business might look like and then find resources including funding and then find the right support and expertise to help get that idea off the ground. Wonderful. Now, I'm thinking maybe when that same grandmother saw you as a child, would she have seen certain maybe skills or traits emerging in you that would lead you into that kind of work? It's quite possible. I started volunteering with community organisations very early on in the piece. Um, I was very involved with the Duke of Edinburgh Award Scheme and a component of that initiative is based on volunteering a number of hours a year or to achieve certain awards. So that meant from late primary school all the way through high school, I volunteered with a range of different groups and that really exposed me to the importance of volunteering and of people giving their time and expertise, not necessarily in exchange for a salary, and really sparked my interest in areas like health and also in education too. One of the key ideas in Self Unlimited is that you may be working for value that's not simply exchange of here's my time and my talents, I'll have money please. And I think volunteering is one of those ones where it's like, well, I've still got time and I've still got talents to give, but I'm not going to get money. So for you, what is it that you get out of that volunteering type work? One of the things that's most important to me is to use my skills in a way that I feel improves the lives of people around me, whether that's in my local community here in Brisbane or addressing a big challenge globally. And so I value that probably beyond many other things, right alongside 
my relationships with family and friends. So when I think about how I turn up each week, I think first about, well, what can I contribute? And that then, that then guides me towards the different types of organisations that I work with. And yes, I do need to earn an income. That's a part of how the world works, or at least for me at the moment. But first and foremost, I'm looking at causes that are important to me and issues that I can contribute to. And then I make sure that a, a number of those also mean that I am able to continue renting a house and putting petrol in the car and so on. So what I'm hearing there is there's an exchange of, yes, you're putting in your time and your talents, and that's a contribution you can make. And the kind of work you're doing is to see social impact. That's the kind of value that you would like to create. That That's the key one. And associated with that is the opportunity to work with amazing people who are like-minded. That's a huge driver for me as well. And also to be a part of creating a, a, an environment or a world that I'm proud of being a part of <laughs> and leaving it in a little you know leaving it in better shape in some way yes um, yeah sounds good now if I was somebody who was thinking about I'd like to start doing volunteering or I'd like to contribute to a not-for-profit organization what advice would you give to somebody who's who's doing that for the first time well the first thing I would say is to think about what causes or social issues they're interested in whether that's education or sport or drug and alcohol awareness or mental health. You know, there's many, many issues out there. So I'd suggest that they think about what sectors or areas they're interested in and then think about what skills they've got and then to have a look around for organisations working in that area and perhaps ask family and friends and colleagues who they'd recommend. Look through the website and see what initiatives that organisation's running and then reach out to that organisation. And I'd encourage you know, anyone I'm having a conversation with about this to offer proactively what they could contribute. So rather than sending off an email or making a phone call to say, hey, I'm interested in helping out, that's actually a very, that can become a time-consuming process for the organisation to deal with. But Mm. if to call up and say, I'm an engineer with 15 years of experience, I can see that you're working on water supply programs in regional parts of Australia, I can offer X, Y and Z for up to five hours a week and I'm willing to do this for a 12-month period is that of interest to you can we have a cup of coffee and a conversation that's how I would suggest going about it that's great advice because I think when I've been on the other side and looking for volunteers there's something very organized when you've got somebody coming saying I've already thought about this I've already checked a little bit about the organization I've seen where my connection point might be and and then I'm going to make an offer and propose that to you rather than leave you with you're going to have to spend you know particularly organizations their time's so precious anyway but to spend it like well what do you want to do and what could you do it's like that's just too much trouble so I could just see somebody come Coming in, having done that thought and putting an offer on the table makes it incredibly attractive to go, yes, we can use you. Or, or maybe, no, we can't. But it means that it's a very quick decision. That's right. I'm very involved at the moment in an Australian engineering declaration of climate emergency. And we have hundreds of individual signatories and organisational signatories now, which is, which is great. So these groups and individuals have signed up to a 12-point commitment around how they'll practice engineering in a way that's mindful of our changing climate and seeks to act positively on that. What a wonderful and, activity. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason I mention this is that I know that there are many, many individuals looking to contribute, whether it's through our movement or in other ways, it's very tricky to harness that, though, mm. when there's just a small team 
providing some coordination and support. So I know if I received emails or phone calls and the individual said, and, and I can see your website really needs development, I'm willing to put in the equivalent of $5,000 worth of my time in the next month to improve it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that would be heaven. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I can so relate to that. Yeah. Thinking about the work that you've done in many of these situations, is there one that you look back and think, oh, that's one of those moments I'm just so proud of that. If I could literally sign my name at the bottom and say, I either I had a role in that or I did that, yeah. what stands out for you? I think what stands out the most, Helen, is my involvement with Engineers Without Borders. I initially got involved thinking I'd volunteer for six months and it became 13 years. So it's wow. been a substantive part of my career. And when the the founding group got together, we had a very explicit commitment to creating change in the world by supporting community organisations around engineering and infrastructure and also perhaps even more importantly to support the Australian engineering profession to step into its responsibility around social change and environmental impact more fully. Now, at a more specific level, what that meant for us was supporting individuals and businesses to work out what their journey towards a greater contribution or greater social impact would be. And so I had the opportunity to work with many, many students and young professionals in particular to think about how they could align their work with their values, which is ultimately what it was about. I think I could say this more broadly, the vast majority of engineers come into the profession and practice engineering to improve our, the world around us, whether it's through infrastructure or new products and technology. But sometimes their, their personal values become disconnected from the operating environment that they're in and the decisions that make up mm. their work. And so supporting people to navigate that and to make decisions that feel right for them and help them contribute more to the world is probably one of the most rewarding things that I've been involved in doing. Um, and just, just to give you an example, many, many years ago, I worked with a couple of students at QUT. Uh, they were in their first and second years of study and they wanted to run an industry event to provide other students with exposure to ways in which engineering businesses were creating a change in the world. And I was able to provide just a couple of suggestions and names of people in industry and then a week later, they came back to me and they'd organised the whole thing and put on a fabulous event. And I think they had about 100 students turn up and some great speakers from industry. And that's the sort of thing. I know it's quite, in some respects, it's quite small, but watching that group of students and supporting them that little bit to, to take on a new idea and to run it themselves and to make connections that they didn't have previously, I find that, that that's what drives me. That's what I find incredibly rewarding. I'm just imagining you as a person who put a little seed in the ground, put a little bit of water on and then stepped back and it grew into something amazing. Yeah, I, I try to. <laughs> you sound like you're a person who's always reaching for challenges and learning. What's the next challenge or learning that you are going to stretch for? Well, I, I am at something of a transition point at the moment in terms of my focus. Um, I'm, I have been doing a lot of work with first nations entrepreneurs and I really really enjoy that and I have had to acknowledge to myself that 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 sort of work is going to be somewhat 
the work that I'm doing, I mean, will be somewhat superfluous unless we tackle climate change much more urgently. Mm. And I have skills that I'm not using at the moment that I think are going to be really important to how we really accelerate action on climate change. And so I'm now thinking very seriously at the moment about well, what does that look like for me um, and how do I refocus around that because I feel like that's perhaps the most important way I can contribute for the next five or ten years. One of the things I like about what you're saying there is often when um, I ask people the question about learning and developing, they're often thinking about something new to acquire rather than something that they already have that maybe hasn't been used and they can, you know, take oh, it out of yeah. the cupboard, <laughs> dust it off, but also maybe take it out and stretch it in new ways. Yes. And uh, yes, and perhaps I didn't quite think through the question deeply enough. But within that shift in my focus, I know one of the areas I'm going to need to rapidly upskill myself around is advocacy with government, particularly state and federal government. Mm. Um, It's not something I've done a lot of before. I've been involved in other types of influence activities, but not with uh, government. So that's an area I'll look to gain a lot more experience and exposure to soon. (laughs) Wonderful. As we come to a close, I'm wondering, you know, here you are today, knowing what you know, what advice would you give the younger you who was entering the workforce or contemplating what direction you might go work-wise? Helen, I'd say to my younger self that there are many, many exciting and varied career and job opportunities that I won't see and experience until I actually find them or create them. And to follow my instinct around doing what feels right rather than perhaps what's traditional, conventional or the norm. Fortunately, I feel like I stepped out of a fairly well-mapped or well-charted career path very early on. And that certainly made it much easier for me to do that again and again and again. But I would, I would certainly tell my much younger self to act promptly on that sense of intuition and not to get too hung up on whether or not I was creating a role that didn't have a name. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's what I'd share. And as I mentioned before, at the moment, I work across a number of organisations. And I I, I guess I could describe myself as a consultant, although I don't really identify with the standard interpretation of that. Yes. And I think think I'm okay with that. You know, I think we're still still a dominant paradigm of being in one role, and I've completely shifted away from that idea entirely. And, and this is precisely why I record these podcasts with the stories of the brave, because I think often people are like, no, this is how, you know, life works. You, you get a role, you stay in that role and you have a career for many years. And, uh, and my message is the world of work is rapidly changing and that there's ways and things that we need to reconsider both at sort of a, a community level, but even at an individual level. And you've just given a wonderful example of that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Helen. This has been a great conversation. It's been lovely to hear some of the things that are going on. And I'm even more inspired with the volunteering work I'm doing. So thank you for the personal inspiration. And and thank you for the inspiration for those who've been listening. My pleasure. Thank you. Workscapes are changing everywhere. For more goodness to change your workscape, visit www.beselfunlimited.com 